I know a woman who told me a story where someone had passed away in her friend's network and her grandmother sent her a text saying LOL in the response to sharing this news. Oh, God. For, for the grandmother, LOL meant lots of love. But um, for her, it meant laughing out loud. So remember, emojis can mean different things for different people. Do you, like me, live in fear of saying the wrong thing online or perhaps even the right thing, but have it interpreted in a totally different way to how you intended? In today's episode of Working It with me, Isabel Berwick, we're cautiously treading into the digital communication minefield. From dismissive full stops, emojis cloaked in double entendres and why it seems clear your boss hates you when he emails but is really nice to you in person, we'll cover it all. And to help with that, I called on Erica Dewan. She's the author of a recent book called Digital Body Language. Erica's forged a career as a communication expert. But it's not because she's always known what to say or how to get heard, but precisely the opposite. I grew up as a shy and introverted girl. My parents were Indian immigrants to the United States, And at home, we spoke Hindi, which meant at school, I had accented English, and I struggled to find my voice. In every report card, I often got good grades, but every teacher said, I wish Erica spoke up more in class. And one of the ways I was really able to find my voice was deciphering other people's body language. I would watch the popular girls with their heads high, the cool kids slouching during school assemblies. And it really taught me, it's not what we say, it's how we say it. And about five or six years ago, I realized something. Just like I was an immigrant as a kid to traditional body language, today we are all immigrants to this new world of digital body language. We need a new playbook to understand that in today's world, reading messages carefully is the new listening. Writing clearly is the new empathy. Okay, so all of this might seem a little bit soft touch on the surface, Or if you're like me, it might feel a bit like you're about to get another lecture from your teenager, as I did, on why it's no longer cool to use a thumbs up emoji when I knew it had been fine the week before. But with most businesses now relying on digital communications with both colleagues and clients, there's so much riding on how we read and write online. So with my son's cutting remarks over my use of that emoji clearly still cutting deep, I asked Erica, who identifies as a geriatric millennial in her bio, if I'm clueless because, as Generation X, I'm just too old. I'll give you an example of how this really stems to be far more beyond age or even gender or culture, and it's really about building a whole new 21st century leadership mindset. I worked with a woman named Kelsey who got some tough feedback from her team on morale issues. And in Kelsey's performance review, her boss commented that her empathy was weak. And when I first met Kelsey, I kept my eye out for all those standard markers of subpar empathy, an inability to understand the needs of others, a lack of good body language, a lack of deep questions. But what I found was Kelsey was fantastic at all these things. She showed respect. She listened thoughtfully. But what I realized is the answer to this had less to do with Kelsey and more to do with today's tech-reliant workplace. It wasn't that her empathy in person was weak. It was that her digital empathy was weak. So Kelsey was someone who would keep emails really brief, but her teammates found them cold and ambiguous. She would 
send calendar invites at the last minute with no explanation, which made her team feel disrespected and anxious. During strategy presentations on video calls, she would glance down at her phone and multitask. And so while her traditional body language signals of empathy were great, her digital body language was abysmal. That's why this is really about leadership today. And it's about understanding that there are different markers and cues that we all must build regardless of our age, position, title, and beyond. I've noticed a few headline-grabbing workplace digital etiquette fails recently, and one that caught my eye last year was an incident where Netflix sacked three marketing staff over personal comments and criticisms they'd been posting about colleagues over a period of months on a public Slack channel. That's just plain rude, as well as careless and clueless. Have these people never heard of WhatsApp? But luckily, Erica's got a solution to help all of us master online communication without upsetting colleagues or bosses. One tip when it comes to mastering digital body language is to never confuse a brief message with a clear message. The pressure to communicate quickly can often cause us to leave out context. But remember, if you're a senior leader and someone stayed up all night to work on a deliverable for you, and you responded with an email that said K period or THX, they may not feel as valued visibly as the handshake or the smile in the office. So take the time to be clear, not brief. And remember that writing clearly is the new empathy. So we've talked a bit about email, but the newest thing for all of us has been this Zoom meeting etiquette. You know, What's the most common pitfall you've come across with digital body language on Zoom and other you know, video meetings during the pandemic? When it comes to Zoom meetings, we must understand that What was implicit in the traditional office meeting must be explicit in the modern day Zoom meeting or whatever video tool you're using. I like to say, number one, we have to, if we are hosting a Zoom meeting, we have to think like TV show hosts instead of office hosts. So what that really means is we set the expectation up front of what the agenda is. We call on people to share. We cut them off if they're going too long. We let everyone know what the explicit norms are. If we'd like everyone to share in the chat tool or join a breakout room, these things make a massive difference in creating a productive Zoom meeting versus a confusing, oh, no, you go, of people talking over each other. The second key thing I think is really important in Zoom meetings is to have a very clear agenda beforehand. Let's be honest, we always needed this in traditional meetings, but digital fatigue is real and it's exhausting to look at cameras on a screen all day long. And so making sure you're thoughtful about time, have a 20 minute, not a 30 minute Zoom meeting, get to the point quickly and uh, have a clear agenda, as well as use recording and closed captioning if it's needed. And last but not least, I'll say know when to not have one more Zoom meeting and just pick up the phone instead. In fact, there was a study out of Wharton that found that in certain situations where there was high trust, a quick phone call was more productive than a Zoom meeting because we were less focused on video cues and looking at our own camera instead of others and more focused on the intonation in someone's voice, which allowed us to listen more carefully. Those are some tips that I think are important today. There have certainly been some epic Zoom fails over the past two years. Ones that spring to mind include that Texas attorney who got stuck in the kitten filter and had to say, I'm not a cat. Not to mention the naked from the waist down men who, and I'm doing air quotes here, digital communication, thought they had their cameras off. But my favourite of all was the British woman, Jackie Weaver, whose calm handling of the shouty local councillors became a global hit. 
Nothing has happened so weird as that in my life over the past two years, although my colleagues have seen a lot of my actual cat. But back to Erica on something that really intrigues me, and I asked her specifically about this because it's been bugging me for years, the power of a full stop or period. If you, like me, are over 40, you think it's both polite and correct to put a period on the end of your texts, sentences, everything. But it turns out we've been freaking out our colleagues and our kids for years. Here's Erica on the generational split over a humble punctuation mark. Think about if someone texts you and they text you, can you watch my dog for the night? If you reply, sure, without any punctuation, it could sound a little on the fence. If you reply, sure, with an exclamation point, it could convey, you know, excitement or eagerness. But if you send sure with a period at the end, unfortunately, it can really sound like you're iffy and totally on the fence. You know, I could watch your dog, but I'd have to cancel my dinner plans. Let's be honest, this is hard, but I think the best way to think about it is similar to regional dialects or accents when we are learning new languages. Now, Gen Z specifically, and I would argue it's not just Gen Z, it's many digital natives that are, you know, sometimes even in their 30s and 40s, grew up often with AOL instant messaging tools, not only from when they were in high school, from when they were in middle school, and they built a fluency, they built a language, which included a period meaning frustration or resentment. And so while it may be hard for some of us to adapt to this, I think the opportunity we have is just to be more aware. Remember so many people that judged others if they used emojis in an email, and I'd argue in the pandemic, they're a bit less judgmental. Now it's actually a tool used by executives to create intimacy and connection with their junior employees they can't meet face-to-face. So let's all get comfortable being a little uncomfortable and become aware that there will continue to be more dialects and accents, not just one common digital body language. Single words with full stops are off the cards, but I still want to know what the perfect email is. So I've been reading around this, and according to one Harvard Business Review article, the key is courtesy and getting to the point quickly, meaning your ask should not be in the last paragraph. And I know I'm guilty of writing long, meandering emails, but as long as you're polite and keep things succinct, you won't go far wrong. But I've received plenty of emails that have really troubled me with their curtness, and not to mention the ones that come with that dreaded subject line. Can I see you in my office for a few minutes at the end of the day? I had one boss who really loved that one. It's really important to get on top of our inboxes. The average worker sends and receives 126 emails a day, according to Cal Newport. He's the US academic and author of A World Without Email. It's a great book. I've read it, but I'm still struggling with my emails. What's the weirdest communication problem you've ever had to consult on or solve? One of the weird ones for me, but I think will change over time, is helping employees battle their voicemail phobia. (laughs) Now, we all know that voicemails were part of our lives, especially for those of us like us that have grew up with landlines and taking calls for people and checking messages. But for those, especially Gen Z, but also not just young people, I I know 40-year-olds that have voicemail phobia that not only hate listening to voicemails and will barely ever listen to them, they'll miss them, but 
also don't know how to take messages for others. You know, I remember a story where I was working with an intern and they were taking messages. I was out for a lunch and I came back and they said, Bob called. And I said, which Bob? What's his last name? What company? And they didn't know how to take a message for someone because they grew up with iPhones where you had all the information of the full name of the person, you had the record of it, but we all grew up with landlines where we had to write down all those notes. And I think that this idea of understanding how to actually take a phone call, how to be comfortable listening to a voicemail, how to take a message is something I never thought I'd have to teach employees to do, but actually is important because of the digital differences and fluency of natives coming into the workforce today. Yeah, I think the problem that younger people have with making phone calls might be an episode in itself, although they're very happy to leave voice notes. That's right. I know from my own experience. That's right. And let's be honest, I think they are right. Voice notes are easier. You know, you can transcribe them. They're quick. And I'd actually argue that we always learn from younger generations and then we adopt those tools. So our grandmothers are using emojis because they learned about them from their grandkids. And I think over time, in the next set of years, we will continue to adopt many of the practices of those younger from us. That's brilliant, Erica. I just have one more question. What is your best piece of advice for listeners about digital communication at work? Less haste equals more speed. Don't reward the fastest person who responds to your email or the quickest person who jumps in on video calls. Prioritize thoughtfulness over hastiness. Otherwise, you won't get the best out of your team. You'll lose the intelligence of your introverts, you'll waste time in rushed groupthink behavior, taking a moment of pause, just like when someone would stroke their chin or furrow their eyebrows in a meeting can make all the difference. So just taking a moment to pause and think about what Erica said there, there's a lot that I can take away and I hope you can take away from that. But my favourite bit is that we have to think like TV hosts on a Zoom call. That has never occurred to me before, but it's brilliant because it completely changes how we interact with the other people. If you're running the Zoom call, as I often do, you have to think about all the participants in a different way. It just makes it actually more fun. And the other thing, apart from never putting a full stop or period on anything to be on the safe side, is to be polite get to the point, and be courteous on and offline. I don't think you can go wrong. Thanks to Erica Dewan for this episode. I'll put a link to Erica's work in the show notes. Please do get in touch with us. We want to hear from you, and we'd like to know what topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. We're at workingit at ft.com, or with me at Isabel Berwick on Twitter. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Working It is produced by Novel for the Financial Times. Thanks to the producer Anna Sinfield and executive producer Joe Wheeler. We have editorial direction from the FT's Renee Kaplan and production support from Persis Love. Thanks for listening. <laughs>